Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I'm so excited here. I have my girlfriend, beautiful friend, Josie Padilla. And the reason I have Josie Padilla here as one of our guests at Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast is because... She is truly a one of a kind. She has a plethora of ex- corporate experience. She's currently the chief operating officer at Cora Organics. Prior to that, she was the CFO and COO at Kate Somerville Skincare. Also, she was CFO and COO at Cookie Chips and CFO at Zyco beverages and a finance director at Coca-Cola Refreshments. This woman is incredible. She went the traditional path and really broke a lot of glass ceiling. She's first generation Mexican American. I am super proud of her and I'm sure you will be proud of her when you listen to her episode. And so she's got exciting news, things that she's been working on and She is a powerhouse, and here is Josie Padilla. We're in for a beautiful treat, and I want her to explain how it all happened because you don't become a chief just like one day you wake up and you're going to be a chief of an amazing international company. So she started off with an amazing education. But even before that, let's talk about her family background. So Josie... Oh my God, I'm so excited. Welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Thank you, Jackie. It's my pleasure to be here early on a Sunday morning. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so flattered you invited me and I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, uh, no. I mean, I'm the one that is super flattered here because I'm here amongst a beautiful soul inside and out. And education, I've always believed that education, it has tremendous value. And I know that you went to an Ivy League school. So 
it's so important for amigas out there who are aspiring for an education. This is a motivation. This is the time for you to rise up as a young woman or even an older woman who wants the desire to be educated. And this amiga that we have here, Josie, is a first-generation Mexican-American. So, Josie, please explain, like, who is your family? the dynamics, did they encourage you to go to, to an Ivy League school to even to get an education? Are they educated? So please, please, please. Without oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd be happy to go into that because it's one of the things that in my life I'm most proud of. And I am just, I, you know, you nailed it. It's education at the end of the day. Without education, it's not that things aren't doable. It's just a bit trickier. You know, I think we all know that, right? Right. So a little bit about my family. As you mentioned, first generation Mexican-American, born, you know, here in Southern California in Hollywood, as a matter of fact. Both my parents are from a, a small town in, in Jalisco, Mexico, Jalosotitlan. It's about an hour and a half outside of Guadalajara, the beautiful city of Guadalajara. You know, education did play, like the notion of education played a huge role for me from the moment I can remember just thinking about things as a child. My father came here when he was 17 years old. You know, he came here after seeing what his older brothers were doing in terms of, you know, work and getting ahead financially and just wanted all that for himself. And so my father is one of my the biggest heroes in my life because what he and my mother did, I stop and think about it a lot and I think, oh my God, at 17 years old to leave the country, the only country you've ever known, yeah. not know how you're going to make it ahead, but just knowing wholeheartedly having that faith that you're going to you know, do something better for yourself and your family is what carries you. So I would say that that's one big, my father's a big influence on me in that respect, because since I was a kid and my mother too, you know, what I kept hearing was, we don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to get an education. You're going to go to college. You're going to go to a great college. We will figure it out. So I grew up with that notion firmly in my head. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, you know, the, the only slight drawback as, as you can imagine is you don't think of any other option. That was the only option for me. It was just sort of the natural path, which I'm very thankful for. Right. So that's the, the sort of household I grew up with. My father didn't look at it in terms of gender lines. He used to say the same thing for all five of us. I'm the oldest of five children. And, you know, he said it to all of us. So, you know, luckily for me, you know, you know, there's the notion it takes a village as well. Right. I you know, I, I look at kind of, you know, sort of my background and my childhood and even into my teens and early, you know, adulthood as I had a village surrounding me and that was helping me move ahead and giving, you know, there were people my entire life that were supporting me and giving me opportunities and helping me understand the path ahead. So that one of the next people that came along was a gentleman by the name of Jack Wright, who was my high school college advisor. You know, I went to Franklin High School up near Pasadena, Northeast LA, wonderful magnet program. You know, Jack Wright had a very strong sort of college advisory program where he basically took the top students in our high school, mind you, mostly minority, Latinos, Asian American, right? Oh, amazing. Amazing. That is awesome. So, you know, he guided us every step of the way where my father, my mom and dad couldn't coach me, you know, Jack Wright filled the gaps. And so 
you know, my aspirations growing up was, uh, you know, either, okay, and I hope I don't offend the USC people out there, UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated from USC, so God knows I have a, a, a ton of really close USC friends, and it's it's become you know kind of our fun thing. USC Stanford rivalries, why not? Uh, <laughs> As you know, I so remember the weekenders. I mean, I haven't done a weekend oh here over to Stanford and USC in like years, but I yeah. mean, those are like so memorable. I love them. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, yeah, definitely firmly ingrained in my mind. So you know, he basically was applied to whatever college you are interested in. I think you should throw some Ivy Leagues in there. Why not? And I remember that was the first time in my life where I thought, oh, I don't know. You know, this doesn't, maybe he doesn't know who I am. Really, this doesn't feel right. So anyway, make a long story short, that's where that happened. And literally, it still wasn't like, okay, everything fell into place. And I know where I knew where I was going in my life. I still had a lot of reservations. And I kept feeling like, oh, my God, someone's going to discover that I do not belong here. This is <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, laugh, I laugh not at you, but like with you, because I know what you're talking about. It's like, really? I can because you don't have, your parents are not role models in, in the educational field. Like, you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to be the first one, the first one yeah, to get hired. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's nerve wracking. Yes. You're right. And it felt like a completely different world, which if you think about it now in hindsight, it isn't a completely different world. We all live in one big, beautiful world and we're all connected to each other, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, you know, was thankful and lucky to have been accepted to Stanford University. I almost went back east because I also had gone accepted into Princeton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so now, I mean, truth be told, I didn't make it across the board. I applied to seven schools, didn't get accepted to either Yale or Harvard. So, oh, well, <laughs> they're lost. <laughs> they're lost. You're gay. You stayed, uh, stayed on the West Coast, which stayed is... Stayed on the West Coast. Yeah. But even, you know, even there, Jackie, you know, again, Mr. Wright said to me, you know, Josie, I know you're, I, I know you've chosen Princeton, but, you know, if you don't mind me kind of giving you some advice, you will be much happier in, you know, at Stanford because you won't have to deal with you know, really cold weather at times, being across the country. I know how close you are to your family. If you need to go back to your family, it's a one hour flight away. Right. So he helped me moderate, you know, and, and I never looked back after that. I mean, it took me probably the first year being there to feel, start feeling like I was at home. Right. And, and it was, you know, thanks to, again, being surrounded by wonderful, supportive friends who also guided me every step along the way. I have one really dear, one of my best friends who was a year, a year ahead of me in school, shout out to Mimi Gassage, you know, <laughs> Mimi. who, yeah, Mimi, who, and my other dear friends, Rija, you know, they were also my support system because they encouraged me every step of the way and they showed me what could be done, yeah. you know? And yeah. so it, like I said, it takes a village and, you know, you will find if you're, if your eyes are open, you will find people along the way that want to help, you know, and all it takes is asking for that help. And making sure that they know, and there's nothing wrong with it, you know? Right, right. So. You know, I think that oftentimes, especially women, Latinas in particular, we don't ask for help. And it is so important to ask for help because that's the only way, you know, here's the thing. Like you're a chief operating officer at a, this amazing company, but you 
actually have made decision to take women with you, carry them with you, because that's the way, you know, you ask for help, you, you bring people, you bring people to where you're at and guide them. And so you're just paving the way, just like your counselor Jack did and your friend Mimi. So it's, this is beautiful. Thank you. No, but you're absolutely right. And to this day, in all the chief roles I've had, there is no way you need help. You know, to this day, I ask for help. I have people who in my company will come to me and say, do you need help? You need help. You have a lot on your plate. How can I help you? And there's, you know, I will admit it's still a little bit tricky to say yes at times, but then you quickly realize that, you know, it's right for the greater good. It's right for the company. It's right for the organization to ask for help. It's right for all those reasons, right? Yeah. 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 So then you graduated from Stanford, but then you decided to continue on with education. So please, where did you go? And why did you go there? And why did you get an MBA versus another type of master's degree? So for me, you know, I finished school, you know, was in the Bay Area for quite some time after that. I did spend a year back here in L.A. after school, still trying to, you know, frankly, doing a little bit of soul searching and trying to figure out what to do next, you know. Which, I mean, again, that adjustment was a little bit tricky, and I'm sure it's probably not dissimilar from what other people went through at that time. I mean, I don't know if you went through it, but it's like, if you think about it, your life has been, my life, you know, if I go back and think about sort of the mantra that my dad was always putting out there about education and what comes next and that path, I mean, all through, up until the time I finished, you know, college, it was, it felt all planned for me. Right. In a way it wasn't in hindsight, obviously, because I made decisions about majors and what to do and whether, you know, going overseas and all these things. But all of a sudden it felt like it was really all the, there were so many options. And so I needed to figure out what to do next. It was tricky. I'm not going to lie. It was very sort of unsettling for a while. But anyway, I ended up going back to the Bay Area, moved in with, you know, my two girlfriends that I was talking about and another really good friend of ours. And from there, I started just kind of exploring different careers, did some temp jobs for a while. I won't even lie, did some temp jobs until I realized that, you know, where my heart was, was all, you know, where it's always been, which is math and numbers and finance. Like that's, yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) For most people, it's like, what? What? Why? Why? (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's, there is, so how can I explain? I mean, I think in life, there's so much sort of, you know, so many gray areas, so much, like I love flexibility as well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like a real rigid person in terms of my personality. I have a lot of flexibility and open-mindedness as well. But the one area that I do love is the black and white nature of finance, numbers, and data mm. to this day, yeah, right? So for example, a lot of times when we're talking about decisions that we need to make at work, influencing someone who may not be sort of coming along to where we need him or her to be so that we align as an organization, we start talking about the data. So what data do we have? What data can we present to help influence and make the right decision, right? You can't make good decisions without data. Right, right. (laughs) Right? So to me personally, I mean, call me, I guess I'm a big nerd to this day. I love it. You're like, you're making data really sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Sexy data, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I always gravitated toward. Went into education for a while, worked at UC San Francisco, worked with one of the deans did, 
there, did some fundraising work in a, a sort of a, a finance role for one of the medical departments, and then started realizing that I'd found what I love, but I wasn't being challenged enough. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so hence came kind of the next decision point. Okay. So what comes next? And so that's when I decided to go back to school. Okay. And in a, you know, I wasn't unfortunately at the point where, and actually financially where I wanted to go back to school full time. But if I think about it, I really, I mean, I wasn't sufficiently motivated to do that because I would have found a way. Right. So I ended up, yeah. So luckily for me, UC Berkeley to this day, just like UCLA and I think some of the other UCs as well have evening MBA programs. It's the exact same course and curriculum as, you know, a normal two-year full-time MBA program. You just go to school for three years and you do it in the evening after work and you do it on weekends. You spend pretty much every weekend for three years, you know, focused on projects and business cases and stuff. So that's what I did for three years, you know. But what's interesting about that, and I was really scared of doing that too, because I thought, oh my God, what am I doing to myself? I'm going to probably (laughs) get a lot of gray hair during this time, right? But what I quickly found was, again, like after the first year, I wasn't being challenged again. I thought I I could use more. I need more. And what I realized was missing at that point was the work piece. So I ended up going into the private sector at that point. And again, thanks to people around me who opened doors to Mm -hmm. some really interesting opportunities. Because what I started finding around that time is if I started talking about sort of talking to people about areas of my life that... I wasn't 100% happy about, then the more I talked about it, the more, you know, people around me that I was close to wanted to help, help me figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the that's, angels, these little angels walking on earth right around you, which, which is just, they, they were planted there for a reason. Nothing is a coincidence. Everything has a reason behind it. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Literally at that point, I remember th- starting to think about what next. And, and you know, there was an, a wonderful opportunity that opened up in the private sector. So I went into, you know, high tech in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley in the late 90s for that reason, you know. Yeah, and I kept going to school, right? And yeah. with every year that went by, every few months, I realized how much more I was capable of doing and how organized I'd become during that period. Because I had so much to do, I had no choice but to organize like more than I had ever in my life. And so people ask me what I feel I got the most out of in terms of business school. I mean, obviously, in addition to the educational aspects and, you know, the sort of higher level financial sort of theoretical financial courses or organizational behavior courses, which are so necessary in business today, there was also this notion of, you know, understanding how to work in diverse groups, right? Understanding how to take some really strong personalities, which as you can imagine, in an MBA class, you have a lot of those. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure very ego driven. So it's just a whole different. (laughs) Well, Yeah. Yeah. There was some of that. And, you know, our class, we had a class of about 50 students. Each entering class was about 50 students in the program. The year that I entered, there were only seven women, Mm. only seven of us. And seven Latinas or seven, how many, were you the only Latina? That's correct. I was the only Latina in the group. Yeah. 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 Which again, I had another moment where I thought, okay, 
I don't know if I, if I belong here. Like it's natural to feel that way. Like when you feel you're different from others, but it's absolutely no reason to stop and move past that. Because again, you realize that the more you work through it, the more you have in common with people, you know? And so it was another, definitely another growing experience because, you know, I don't think I'd ever been in an environment where there were so few women in the cohort, you know? Hmm. And so it was, again, pretty intimidating. I'm not going to lie. And I was surrounded by a lot of people who already had, since it was an evening in Bayperm, I think I'd been out of school for six years at that point. Okay. There were some people who had been out of school for 10, 15 years who also had, you know, VP titles. I don't think we had any CEOs, but we had a doctor, for example, who decided to go back and get an MBA oh now. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, because like, a medical degree is not enough. <laughs> no, it's not, but you got to have more. <laughs> so I was really intimate because I think at the time I was an analyst, you mm-hmm. know, when I started school. Yeah. And so I kept thinking, oh, my God, everyone's going to figure out that I don't belong in this cohort. Oh, again. the imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome creeping up again, for sure. But you know what sort of, obviously that changed over time, but I remember a big turning point was about maybe two years into the program where, you know, obviously I kept working through it and muddling through and building relationships with everybody that I knew, men and women, and it just became easier over time. But I remember working with a project team one weekend where, you know, we were coming together during the last phases of a project And we were going to discuss, you know, progress on the section that everybody had been assigned. And so there were two of us females on the project. And I think four men, if I remember correctly. And so she and I, my friend and I had done what we needed to do and we came prepared and ready to go. And when we got to that meeting, which was on a beautiful Saturday morning when nobody wanted to be working or working on school stuff, that we all got together. And I kid you not, Jackie, two of the men did not do what they were supposed to. They hadn't done it. And we, like, I want to say the project was due in the next week or two. So at that point, you know, the dynamic was they were sort of, into, you know, hoping that we would take on their work. Of course. <laughs> well, right? And, I, had to be and, and we, I mean, let's face it, we always do. Well, we usually do. Usually do. Yes. But that morning I had enough and I realized I didn't want to take it anymore because it had happened before, you know, and I remember I just put my foot down and I said, absolutely not. This is what you guys committed to doing that we've already done our part and then even some, and no, you need to go back and you need to get this taken care of. We are not going to do this for you, period. And I may have raised my voice a little bit and maybe dropped a couple of expletives and which (laughs) I would never, I wouldn't always advocate. I would probably rarely advocate that really. There are better ways to get that done. But I, I kind of hit that sort of turning point where I just was done and I wasn't going to take it anymore. And the looks, I remember so clearly the looks on their faces because they didn't expect it. Of course not. Of course not. Oh my God. I mean, these, the, the, the dynamics between men and women and women have always been like, oh, I'll help you out just by nature. You know, that's we're nurturers. We always come to the aid to help out. And when you say, hell no, your responsibility, <laughs> you get it done. I'm not going to help you out here. Good for you. I'm so, so amazed and proud of you because it really takes guts. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I'm all about like being truth talking here, but it, it's cojones. You got it. You know, like yeah. you got yeah. to. 
Yeah, I have to. And you know what? It, it was even more than that, though. It was also this realization that I had done my homework. Mm-hmm. I had learned my material. I knew what I was talking about. And these were the same individuals, you know, because MBA classes, you know, probably similar to law school, right? It's like they're mostly case study based classes. You go and you read an article, you come prepared with, you know, to be part of a big discussion. It's not like a lecture usually, right? And so these were the same people that more often than not were the biggest talkers in class and the ones that seemed to know everything. I realized they didn't. And so from that point forward, my whole experience changed again because I felt that I was on equal footing and even better footing than a lot of them, you know? And so, yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's awesome. That realization that we're on the equal footing here. You're no different than me. So own up, you slacker. Because if you're not going to, I'm going to keep going forward, you know? So super awesome. Amigas, listen, Josie didn't take, you know, she didn't take any bullshit from anyone. She actually stood up for what she believed in and she made it happen. So if you are in a situation out there, amigas, where someone is trying to bully you or trying to convince you to do their work, no, step up, speak up. Don't let them push you over. And, you know, for those that, you know, I I considered myself like sort of wanting to always avoid any sort of, you know, butting heads or anything like just conflict avoidance was who I thought was, you know, part of my personality. And, And quite honestly, it doesn't even have to be that way. Right. So when you stand up, and you make your voice heard, it doesn't have to be combative. Like you're not going to, you know, you can do things in a way where if somebody's position is different. And, and I'd like to think that more often than not, 98% of the time, that's the situation you're fine. You find yourself in where you're, you're, you know, you have just a different opinion over someone and you need to make your voice heard. There are ways to do that in which it's not combative and it's not off-putting, right? So when you talk about standing like for what you believe in and not taking shit, it doesn't have to be this big combative thing. It can be a really subtle thing and it can be about influence, right? Influencing people. Amen <laughs> so, to that. Well, you're, right. you're, you're an influencer for sure. Amigas, I am super excited to tell you about what has been brewing here at Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. So I've been working diligently I've been thinking about what to do to support you out there, and I am developing a masterclass. Yes, a masterclass called Handle Your Shit and Thrive. And basically, Amiga, what I have learned throughout these years is that you have been running on autopilot, and more than ever, you're being pulled into different directions. You're losing sight of your dreams and putting a pause on them. You can't afford to miss this masterclass that will help you to step into and create the life of your dreams with clarity and certainty. And so I wanted really to let you know that next year we've got some exciting things happening. Like I said, I'm developing this masterclass that will launch um, January 26, 27, and 28. And I would love for you to join us. It's completely free. I will have three sessions. So if you can't make one, you can definitely make the other one. And basically, I'm going to be telling you a little bit about my four-step framework, how to handle your shit, and the four-step program that I've implemented throughout these years, not only as a lawyer, but a transformational life coach. It is very prolific. 
I'll actually teach you how to ask powerful questions that lead to epic solutions. How fun is that? So I'm excited for this. Would love for you to join us. It is completely complimentary. All you need to do is register. You will find the link in the show notes. And of course, you know, I'm here for you and I can't, I can't wait to see you and get to know you and let's master this. Let's make shit happen. So amigas, like I said, I'm excited. Next year is going to be amazing and I can't wait to meet you all. So the masterclass um, will be next year. And like I said, all you need to go is into my show notes and register for it completely complimentary and I can't wait to see you. So you then graduated, got your MBA, you started working, you had already been working, but you've been moving up the corporate ladder. And when I read your LinkedIn page, I was looking, I'm like, wow, she's been a chief either a CFO or COO for the past seven years. And then within that, I started noticing that you have had executive roles in the food and and spirits in that industry, but now you're in the beauty industry. So how does that happen? Is it because you have the same, like the same blueprint of operating like you could carry that in different industries. Like you don't have to stay just in the food service, let's say, and in the beauty industry, you can just change it around. Is that? Yeah, you can. You definitely can. In so, you know, as we were talking, I mean, I started my career in finance, right? Moving through finance roles. But, you know, for like finance and operations in a lot of companies, well, most companies have to work very closely together. They're usually tight at the hip, right? So that's sort of one natural kind of way to sort of get into the other. And I can explain how that happened for me personally, if you guys are interested. But the other thing is, I would say that there are a lot of things called transferable skills, you know, for different functions, right? Certainly the case for finance operating. I would say, I would argue for any, any function you're in, whether you're in sales, marketing, there are a lot of transferable skills from one industry to the other. The thing I would say specifically, the commonality between beauty, which I'm in right now, food, which I did a, a brief stint in, and beverages, which I spent, you know, 12 years, more than 12 years of my career in, they're all consumer product goods. So in the, the, what they call the CPG space. So there's commonality there in terms of how you run companies. There are a lot of commonalities, you know, for example, in all three types of industries, there's inventory you need to deal with, you know, they're sort of short-term, short-term consumable goods, physical inventory that you're accounting for and you're tracking, whether you're on the operations or the finance side, right? So that's one commonality in finance, you know, and this holds true for even non-CPG companies, you know, most well-run companies will have financial statements, you know, that you, (laughs) right. That you run. Yeah. yeah. I would hope at least, at least once a year, if not sooner, or if not, not more, more. You need to know your profit loss. I mean, are you operational? Like, yes, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So there are a lot of commonalities and a lot of transferable skills, but you know, for me personally, it's also, 
this notion of growth, like I've always had an appetite for continuing to grow and learn more and being having periods in my life where I've been a little bit uncomfortable because I don't know things. Like when you make, you jump to a new role or a new company, it's uncomfortable for a period of time because you don't know everything, especially if you went from being somewhere where you did. So it's almost like I view like the educational process or career advancement is like steps, you know, or even really messy steps. It's not like a linear ascent. You just kind of have to like go up, sort of dabble, like learn, 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 master a skill, master an area, and then keep growing, you know? And so that's always been my drive, quite honestly. And I start reaching this point where, and it can be in an environment where, you know, I really love everybody I work with. I love the division and I've been very blessed to have worked and a number of places like that. That's one of the things I feel, you know, so, so just blessed about have, being able to have had those experiences. But nonetheless, if you're still not learning anymore, it's, I've had that sort of drive to just go somewhere else then. And so okay. that's what's always kept me going. Yeah. Yeah. I, wow. Wonderful. I mean, it's a, amigas out there who are listening. It's like, you gotta keep on growing, keep growing and just finding your way. I mean, you, what I realize is that going from food now to beauty and I'm like, and I'm a girly girl. So I'm like, Ooh, I love beauty. So I'm just like, okay. So you found your way through the beauty industry. So how different is it from the beauty and food? Like, I feel like you, I know you're selling something. I know the financials are financials. But the actual product, I mean, is it, I don't know, how do you make that decision? Like I, you went from food and now you're like beauty. Like, what was that? Why did you make the decision to get into beauty? Well, you know, it's interesting for me to the, you know, if, if you don't mind me going back really quickly to like, you know, when I was in tech, high tech in the Bay Area, I worked for a lot of really small entrepreneurial firms, you know, and it was right around the time that sort of the early 2000s after the market had crashed initially and, you know, big tech was really big in the late 90s and all of a sudden everything, you know, market course corrected. And so, you know, I ended up, unfortunately, at the time it felt like, um, you know, my career was sort of stalling and I wasn't sure where to go because, companies kept shutting their doors or being acquired, or there was just a lot of contraction in the industry because of what had happened. And so I worked for, again, a lot of small companies, which was great because I got that entrepreneurial experience. And then I went to go work for Coca-Cola by moving back down here in the late 2000s when I decided, okay, you know, I think it's been, it's felt a little bit unstable. I want more stability. And at that point, I had a recruiter literally reach out to me out of the blue, a headhunter, and said, you know, I've got this opportunity at Coca-Cola. You can't get more stable than that. But, you know, it's a double-edged sword, right? So be careful what you ask. Do you really want to be that stable? Because it's really stable. And I thought, you know what? I I need stability. It's a world-class company. Yeah. I will learn a ton there. Oh, yeah, sign me up, which is what happened. I mean, I was there for 12 years in five different roles. And every single time I learned more and more about my function, operations as well, leadership in general. Coca-Cola was just, it was such an amazing experience because you were really, you know, nurtured. And if you, if you were seen as having potential, they invested in you, you know, and I, I had, so 
all it took was for me to say, yes, I accept going to this leadership course here in Atlanta for a week, or yeah, I want to go to that training, or I want, yeah, absolutely sign me up for that leadership assessment. I was always, always willing to say yes to all those things and fit them into my busy work schedule because I realized that that was a way to explore further and understand what else was out there. And it made me scared to take those up to um, sort of take on those opportunities or do those things because it kind of felt like being back in school and being tested a little bit and sort of being in the classroom, which kind of made me cringe a little, but I forced myself to do it yeah. because I grew every single time, you know, so it's that discomfort again. So anyway, fast forward to moving to beauty when I was ready for a new role, leaving a small food company I joined that just didn't work out. And again, you know, not every career move I worked out, you know, worked out really well. And, and that's okay. I mean, those things happen and you just kind of pick yourself up by the proverbial bootstraps and you keep going, right? And there's, you learn something in every role. Anyway, I had gotten, I had been contacted again by a recruiter and thank God for social media, by the way, LinkedIn, if you know, amigas, if you don't have a LinkedIn profile and you want to build a network, that is the easiest, you know, way to do it. You know, and I, I don't want to say you don't have to try because you do, but yeah, no, of course, <laughs> I mean, massive avenue, right? Yeah. Um, so somebody reached out to me and basically, uh, you know, forwarded a job description of a role in a beauty company owned by a large multinational. So it was a fairly recent acquisition it had happened two years before company still fairly small, independently run, still entrepreneurially run up in Beverly Hills with its own offices, its own CEO, its own leadership team, but owned by a massive multinational based out of London, right? Mm -hmm. So when I viewed that opportunity, and believe it or not, that opportunity also came my way via two or three other people in my network, even after I had already accepted an offer from them. You know, it was around the holidays and, and a friend of mine didn't even know that I had accepted an offer and, and sent me a job description. Actually, a friend of mine, former employee of mine, said to me, hey, I'm forwarding this to you, Josie. I just came across this online. This sounds like the perfect job for you. Well, what he didn't know is that I had just literally accepted verbally. <laughs> well, it's like the universe is just, it's definitely like showing you. It's like, yes, this is for you. Here you go. Well, I mean, what more, what better sign? <laughs> exactly. But the thing about it that, you know, sort of made me really excited about it was the fact that, hey, I knew, I knew what their goal was. The goal was to grow this company you know, double digits every year and make it profitable, right? And so because of my experiences working with small entrepreneurial companies in the Bay Area and knowing what that environment is and knowing how you have to maneuver and multitask and be flexible, and then also knowing what you want to get to in terms of a more sort of corporate environment once you've grown, because you need to have something more corporate and structural once you get to be a certain size. I knew the from and the to, and so that's why the role was so exciting to me because I thought all these years and all the work I've been doing and all the roles have culminated in this. And so again, the only challenge was that now it was in beauty versus, you know, food and beverage. Right. But I realized again, because the transferable skills were and you know, over way overshadowed whatever little differences they were, it was a matter of coming on board and learning those things that were new to me as quickly as possible. So that was sort of my focus for the first, you know, six months of the job, learn the beauty industry, talk to people in the beauty industry, grow my network there, right? 
help, you know, understand how it, it may be different than food and beverage and figure that out. Right. So that was a big focus of mine right at the beginning. Well, and it's a moment of growth. Like you're learning a new thing and new skills as you're moving away. I mean, moving up the ladder, if you will, because I mean, even like, I mean, I know from my family, I come from a very entrepreneur family and we're in the food and, and service industry. So I know what it takes to do that. And then, and to learn that it's, there's transferable skills to the beauty industry. I'm like, Ooh, how enticing, how enticing ladies out there. But think about it, Jackie. And how do you figure that out? You talk to people. And again, it's like, you would find that the things you don't know, if you know, someone else may know this, and it may even be someone that you don't know. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that you can just email and ask a question about, you know, either you found them through your alumni network or through mutual friends on LinkedIn or whatever it is. Most people will immediately respond and say, I would be more than happy to chat with you if you just want to explore. People will always help. It's just a matter of asking for that. Asking, asking. And then what I'm hearing from you, it's about asking about connections and that there's always people out there willing to help you out. I love that. I love this like whole trilogy. Like you, if you have those three things, you're going to do whatever you want to do, right? You can be anything, literally. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not a lie. You can be anything you want to be, you know, just ask, right? The only thing holding you back is your own state of mind, your own fear, your own, you know, fear of failure, for example. To me, you know, the, the one thing that I'm so thankful, and again, I would say I got this trait from my father is the ability to take risks. But in my life, it's been calculated risk. My father, I would say in his career was probably, I don't know if he would agree with this. I think he would actually, he was probably a little bit more of a risk taker because my father through his career was mostly entrepreneurial and starting his own companies. I don't have that amount of risk tolerance, for example, but I have had it to the extent where as scary as it has felt at certain times to make a career switch or go for that promotion or move to a different industry, I have still done it. And, you know, if you ask my husband, there's been a couple of times where I've all of a sudden when I've, you know, verbally accepted something or a move or whatever, where I've looked at him and said, Oh my God, what am I doing? (laughs) I just did this. Oh my God. You know, and then he helps to settle me down. It's okay. It'll be okay. (laughs) Everything will be fine. So your core organics, what's next for you? So I joined Cora about seven months ago. So, you know, what's next for me is to continue at Cora. We have a lot of work to do. I'm very excited about, you know, what Cora represents and who we are in the industry. We're one of the few, you know, certified, EcoCert Cosmo certified organic brands. And we take that very seriously. You know, the company has a lot of growth potential. And to me, it speaks to my heart in terms of what we are offering consumers, you know, especially since we've been, you know, mostly in lockdown this year. It's been, you know, I know for me and a lot of the people I know, it's self-care has become even more important, finding ways to do it at home and to take care of yourself and not just, you know, physically, but mentally and not just your skin, but your state of mind. I mean, that's that's what we we talk about a lot at work. You know, we focus on, on that a lot. It's very important to us. So, you know, this is definitely a company that speaks to my heart. And that's what makes it so, I wouldn't say easy because it's never easy, but it makes it easier for me to do what I need to do every day. So it's just to continue growing. You know, I have aspirations to go nowhere for a while. And then we'll see <laughs> after that. Well, nowhere, but everywhere. 
You know, we're a bit everywhere. Well, and you know, there is something too, I will say. So we've been working from home since mid-March. Yeah. And so as a result of that, you know, there are certain things that normally I would have done in this role that I haven't been able to do, like travel around a lot, travel to see our customers. We have a division in Australia, you know, I haven't been able to go see them. They haven't been able to come see us. So I'm really looking forward to things like that because I think once we're able to do that again, it's just going to unlock way more opportunities too, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. So as we are here at almost the finish line, one of the things that I always ask my guests, and, and I'm so grateful to have you here, is like, if you could share one or two tips on how Amiga can handle their shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I'd love to. So the first one is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And, you know, take your risks, as I was saying. I mean, it's important. It is super important to take risks in life. And as we were saying earlier, you know, you can be anything you want to be. And, and, you know, I think if, if you're willing to kind of talk to other people, talk to your network, look around you, you know, there are people that bring so much to the table and, you know, they will help you along, but you know, no one's going to know what your aspirations are unless you talk to people about them and you take those risks and you experiment, you know, experiment a little, even if you fail, it's not the end of the world. You know, you fail, maybe, you know, even if you fail multiple times, as long as you're not failing at the same thing over and over again, because that's kind of an exercise in futility, but you know, don't be afraid to fail. I've learned something every single time I've failed and I have failed a few times. Um, And then the other thing I would say is, you know, there are a lot of times where you're presented with a problem, an issue that you've never had to face or confront before. And, you know, I know when I've had those moments and I've had a handful of them, it's been, I would say two or three times where I have stopped and thought, oh my God, how am I possibly going to fix this one or work on this one? You know, how can I make this one better? I don't even know how I'm going to do it. I feel at, at times it feels like it's impossible. What I would say is never give up. You know, I recently read an article about the trait that, you know, one of those traits that makes people really, really successful is the ability to look at a problem from every different aspect and to never to be relentless in trying to figure out how to fix that problem to look at it from every angle, to keep thinking about it. And it may sound exhausting, (laughs) but, and it's happened to me a few times, you know, where you keep looking at it, you keep looking at it, you think about different ways, you put it away, put it in the back of your head for a while or put it away on your desk, don't think about it for a while, come back to it. Or even like in my case, what's helped too is, you know, I'll go out for a run or I'll walk the dog. And as I'm getting, you know, the adrenaline going and thinking about things, all of a sudden an idea will pop into my head. And I'm like, there's the solution. That's what it is. And believe it or not, sometimes you realize that solution was right in front of you. And because you were maybe so close to the problem, you know, you didn't really see it, but eventually it comes. So I think having that persistence to figure some big issue out and never let it go, that's big too. So huge, huge. Be relentless, amigas. You heard it. Be relentless. And when you get stuck, change your state. Go out for a walk. Go run. Do something different. Take, you know, pivot or change or change the trajectory and refocus and come back and be relentless. Oh, I love that. 
I love that. Especially right now where, you know, a lot of us are at home, even go for a drive. I, you know, it's so funny. In normal times, I would never say, get in your car and go for a drive around LA. That, that That's probably not good <laughs> advice. But right now, it's actually not bad advice. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It is not bad advice at all. Just definitely go out there and change your state in some way, some capacity, because if you are confronted with a problem or issue, you really have to change that state of mind. And one of the things to break the pattern is changing the state. So thank you for that, Josie. Oh, my God, you're amazing. I can't wait to see, hear more about you. Would love to bring you back if that's okay with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I would love to come back. (laughs) I would love to come back anytime. It's my pleasure. I mean, one of my, you know, I've the last few years, especially, I mean, this has always been a goal of mine, but I always want to give back because if it helps to hear, even if it helps even one person to realize that your full potential, all you know, it's all in you, there's no one else holding you back, then, you know, my day's complete. Yeah, it's going to be a great Sunday. Yes, absolutely. So we're starting our Sunday really, really nicely, very well. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Josie, and everyone here. Please, 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 you know, education is super important. It may not be for everybody, but for those of you who are interested in education, remember that go seek out your mentors. Seek out those mentors because they are there. They're waiting for you. And just like Josie had uh, Jack Wright as her mentor to pave the way for her, you're going to find your own Jack out there. Never too late. Never too late. Thank you so much. Until next one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.